The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. to another episode of Punt and the Poor Man. Drew Butler here from Punt and Pass. Join alongside my esteemed co-host, Ryan Skates, the poorest man of them all from the Poor Man's <laughs> Poor Game every notes. day. That's right. And uh, it's the month of August. It is football season. It's here, Ryan. We've made it. Yes, we're rolling on with Punt and the Poor Man. Our last guest was awesome. Mike McDonald, defensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens. So nice of him to take out time from his day to join us dive into his background his journey through coaching it's been so fun following him along especially with his georgia ties and today we have another awesome guest we'll get to that in just a little bit i do want to catch up with you on life what's been going on kids are back in school i know you just took a little family vacation but before we get to that, we have to let you know who this episode of Punt and the Poor Man is presented to you by, and it is our awesome friends over at Holderness and Bourne. Alex Holderness and John Bourne started their men's golf apparel brand about eight years ago, but they've really gained momentum the last five years or so. You've probably seen their shirts at your local club as they're one of the biggest players in the club logo apparel game. You've probably also saw their apparel on thepmgn.com with the banner year line and the chapel bell line. And also there's a new subscribers line, which you need a password to get into Ryan skates, crushing it with our pals over at H and B they're fit and fabrics are on point, but H and B really changed the game with the collar on their shirts. You can pick out an H and B collar from across the driving range. Why? Cause it has premium interfacing hidden collar stays and an English cut that is not too modern, but not too aggressive. Great. What does that all mean? It means you look more polished, more put together. A great collar frames your face, as you can see on Ryan right now, if you're watching us on YouTube, and it gives you great posture. And in these hot Georgia summers, it stays sharp all day long. It doesn't lay down or flatten you out as you sweat over those six-footers, something we all do, Ryan, more so than others. Check them out <laughs> in their summer, early fall collection at hbgolf.com. That's hbgolf.com. They're also all over thepmgn.com and soon to be on puntandpass.com. So follow them. I love it. Follow I them on it. social media. Follow Ryan on social media at Poor Man's Game Notes at the PMGN. Follow me at Drew Butler at Punt and Pass. It is Punt and the Poor Man. Big shout out to our friends over at Holderness and Born. How are you, brother? I'm good, man. I was just I'm just thinking about my collar here. This yeah. is a Holderness shirt. You know, playing golf down here in the summer you're going to yeah. get you get fried on the back of your neck and you can i mean other than you look like keith mitchell when you pop this thing up and you look cool as hell yeah especially with really a, a visor especially when you mix the oh tour visor gosh. in with the pop collar and it, it'll it screams up, pretentious you know, it which i love shape. oh yes. my gosh absolutely you gotta let everybody know you think a lot of yourself when you're out on the golf course from far away and uh holders and born shirts really 
give you that option. If, no doubt. If you, no doubt. You so wanted. you were just at uh, Disney with the family. What was that like? Was it hellacious? Was it a hellscape? Was it hot? Did the boys have fun? How did Kyle handle it? What's up with that? I mean, yes, yes to everything. We, uh, <laughs> it was hot. It was terrible. The boys loved it. It was great. Actually, we've been to Disney several times. Um, you know, living down here, it's faster to get to Disney World than it is to get to Macon. Yeah. So it's easy to go. We just went for two nights, and you know, the kids felt like they had a huge vacation. We were able to get out before we were tired of all of it. You know, you go in there, kind of. I mean, it is. They do an amazing job with all the little details. They do an amazing job with taking care of your kids. The pressure of having to entertain your children on vacation is totally gone on a trip like that at Disney. Yeah. So uh, we need to get them to buy an ad if I'm going to keep talking about them. But <laughs> yeah, we, do. Uh, we had a great time. It was, uh, it was good family time. And school for us doesn't start back until next week. Okay. Everything's a little bit slower down here in South Georgia. And yeah. Education's not as big of a priority as this for you guys <laughs> in Atlanta. So we'll get there when we get there but high school football starts uh believe next week down here too. yeah sweet these guys down here they do their jamborees at like 5 a.m so you know i was dropping my kid off at, at camp which he has at school and they were finishing up the jamboree at 8 a.m they had been playing for three hours already kids from all over south georgia come to okay. school to to do their jamboree but it's too hot by 9 a.m of course to, to play uh it, but fall is the best time of year here uh and it's the best time of year anywhere in the south with football coming back and routines coming back yeah. people getting back into school and uh it, it's exciting we've made it it's tough to beat october and november in the state of georgia uh, especially down on the coast i mean that's one of the premier spots to be in all of the country during that time frame is disney truly just one massive money suck like did, did it ever seem like your credit card was not being charged for something at some point somewhere well they do a really good job of separating the credit card from the transaction you have a little wristband oh yeah that wristband, like, beep, beep, boom, beep, it's over. Yeah. yeah it's like being with drew butler in Atlanta athletic club you just tell him <laughs> put it on the underhills and it's magic. It just Dude, happens. I just so, I know. charge it to bowling. You know, I charge it to Clint there Bowling. He did way better than me, man. He did way better there than me. Go. He's always out there anyway. So I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever. Just charge it to bowling. Um, okay. Um, before we welcome in our guest, conference realignment, any thoughts? Are you sick about hearing it? Do you care if Clemson and Florida State join the Big Ten or the SEC? Is the SEC done at 16? We'll ask our guests that as well, but. I don't know. It, it, to me, it's like this This topic is so overplayed. I feel like people are sick and tired of hearing about it until something obviously happens. Yeah, I mean, it, what difference does it make to the fan anymore? We, yeah. we expanded in 2011, I guess, with Missouri and Texas A&M. We still haven't been to College Station. I know. What difference does it make that we're in the same conference as them? If they want to add more teams to get a better uh, TV rights package, whatever. Uh, but you know, it has nothing to do with why people love SEC football. Um, of course, you know, people, so, I mean, it's in my opinion, and I saw somebody put this on Twitter, conference commissioners have made themselves such, uh, they've made themselves too much of the story of college athletics, all of this, uh, negotiating for TV rights, expansion and all this stuff and turning, uh, what was a regional uh, pastime into this big business. I mean, they're going to kill the goose here doing it all. And yeah. you know, we don't need to know. Greg Sankey doesn't need to be a part of our lexicon in preseason talk. You know, yes. he's not relevant. He shouldn't be relevant to 
to what our Saturdays are like. And they put themselves in the middle of, of, of all this. And I think it's at the expense of uh, the expense of the fans. And uh, yeah, I, I could care less about realignment. I want to see the dogs go and tear somebody up. I totally agree. It's that time. Um, I thought Kirby Smart did fantastic during SEC media days. I forget if our last episode was before or during that. Uh, I thought he handled the media really well. He kind of set the expectations really well. Also, better never rests seems like a great mantra for not only the team and the staff, but also the fans to kind of gravitate towards. And the last thing about conference realignment, I saw this tweet today from Rod Gilmore at ESPN. And he said, I'm waiting for the NCAA and media to start calling conference realignment, quote, the wild, wild West, like they do NIL today, university leaders at Florida state publicly threatened to breach the contract. It voluntarily signed with the ACC. If it's partners refuse to give FSU more money, that's wild. The point being, when it's athletes making decision around money or student athletes making decision around money, they're quick to call it the wild, wild west. But when it's leaders in college sports doing the exact same thing, hey, it's just business. Rules for thee, but not for me. It's ridiculous. Money drives everything. First, look towards the PGA Tour and live golf. We won't get into all that. We're going to get in to our guest on this episode of Punt and <laughs> Who is our guest? Ryan, I'd venture to say he is a lot smarter than you and I. He's probably the smartest person I've ever had on a podcast, punt and pass included. He is Will Leach, the founding editor of Deadspin.com. An author, current release is The Time Has Come. Ryan, I believe you have it right there. He's also a contributing editor for New York Magazine and Major League Baseball, currently domiciled in the great city of Athens, Georgia. I'm going to allow Will Leach to join the room right now. And Ryan, I do have to give you a massive shout out for getting Will onto the podcast live from Athens, Georgia. Here he is, our guest this week on Punting the Four Man, Will Leach. Will, thanks so much for joining us, man. How are you? An honor to talk to such distinguished gentlemen. Uh, happy, uh, <laughs> happy, uh, less than a month until the season. This is uh, this is generally where I am right now. We've officially hit uh, basically Advent calendar season. If you have yes. a Georgia uh, football, I don't. I feel like I, if someone's not making them one, I should sell one because an Advent calendar idea. for Georgia football, I think, would ooh, be very, a very good way to go. What would be inside the calendar, like little shots of whiskey for adults, or what could we do for kids to get them excited about? Uh, uh, the kickoff for Georgia football season. Bulldog seatback coupon. <laughs> yeah, my, my, seat back coupon. What else could you get? Yeah, my you, you guys had had very uh, uh giftful advent calendars. Mine were just like pictures of like sad people in my family. So uh, so like maybe maybe we'll have a maybe we'll have like a different picture of Kirby getting really like yelling yeah. or something each time. Or maybe maybe we open it and we get a pregame uh, locker room speech. Yeah, it's like an plays. audio one. I like that. That, would, that oh, yeah. would definitely get me excited. <laughs> I want you to eat. Yeah. <laughs> my my grandparents have like a trinket up in their uh their house. And it's I, I don't even know what it is, but you open doors or you open something and it's just Larry Munson calls. So yeah. like oh, one, yeah, exactly. one of them oh, is, yeah. you know, Kevin Butler yeah. kicking the 60 yarder versus Clemson. The other one <laughs> would be run Lindsay Run, but you'd open right. them and the audio oh. uh would pop up immediately. But I want that. Yeah, we need to we need to revitalize an advent calendar for the countdown of Georgia kickoff. Great exactly. idea, Will. 
with with Kirby Smart pregame pregame. But now, that, now we might have to have one for the kids and one for the adults if we're going to have Kirby pregame speeches. But uh, I don't know. I I see a lot of that. My kids' junior middle school friends quoting some of those things all the time. So maybe we don't. <laughs> That's awesome. The kids are all right. They, <laughs> yeah. they, they can handle it. They can exactly. Handle it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, before you joined, I gave you a, a glowing, glowing introduction, Will, and I said, you're by far the smartest, most distinguished person I've had on the podcast, punt and pass included. I've been doing this game for seven <laughs> years. Here you are, the founding editor of Deadspin.com, an author. Your current release right now is The Time Has Come, contributing editor to New York Magazine and Major League Baseball, uh, and you're living in Athens, Georgia. So we thank yeah. you. We're going to have a wide-ranging conversation. Um, and obviously, you've known Ryan for a long time. Mm -hmm. You and I are just getting to meet. So yeah. once again, I appreciate it. And Ryan, you can go ahead and kick us off, man. Yeah, well, the thing, it, it's such a great icebreaker for, for Will. And I know he's told the story a million times. It's even on his Wikipedia page, which I'm looking at now. But he has this amazing story about going on that Comedy Central show, Win Ben Stein's Money. <laughs> oh, I yes. didn't know this. <laughs> yes. And he, he went on within hours after, I think, breaking up with his fiance. Or no, she broke up with, with me. Him. Oh, this, definitely. That's a key part of the story. Key part happens. that she's the one that did it. Key part. <laughs> well, for people who are just getting to know you, maybe in yeah. our audience who aren't as, who, who might not know you before, Let's meet Will through the lens of Ben Stein's money. Tell, if you don't mind, tell us that story real fast. Oh, no, I love telling my my college heartbreak stories. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> um, no, yeah. so I went to University of Illinois. Uh, I'm a small, from a small town in Illinois called uh, Mattoon. I always joke that Illinois is basically Nebraska with Chicago at the top. And I am from the Nebraska part. I am definitely from the Nebraska part. So I went to the University of Illinois, and my hero growing up was Roger Ebert, actually the film critic Roger Ebert, who was an incredible writer about a lot of things. And but of course, at the time, I only knew him as the guy that was on television. I thought, well, if that guy can get on television being from central Illinois, I'm going to do what he did. And so I went to the journalism school at Illinois and uh, got a job actually as a film critic in Los Angeles uh, right wow. after I graduated. And so I was, uh, and I was, I was engaged. I got engaged to my college sweetheart. And uh, she moved out there to Los Angeles and it, uh, and, you know, um, uh, we were young, you know, we were 21 years old. And uh, and so uh, basically we had an all night conversation and basically she had split up with me. And then about two hours later, I was like, oh, I'm taping that game show today. And so I, so uh, so she actually was in the audience and we went. And before the show, the producer came to me, it was in Los Angeles. A producer came to me, the show was called When Ben Stein's Money, which of course was hosted by Ben Stein and co-hosted by uh, a little known radio DJ in the area that, who was getting his first television gig named Jimmy Kimmel uh, was no actually uh, his name. Wow. And so uh, the producer before the show said, uh, said, hey, so we want to go over your bi biographical information. You're a film critic. Uh, you're from the you're from the Midwest and, and you're engaged. And I, and I, because I had not slept foolishly, said, you know, that's great. So actually, it's funny you should mention that, man. Uh, I've actually just gotten engaged about two hours ago. And they're like, well, we're not going to mention that. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Cut to the actual show. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy Kimmel, again, uh, a, a then unknown to me, uh, a guy, but trying to try make his name in television a little bit, says our last contestant is, his name is Will. He's a film critic. He's from the Midwest. And he just got unengaged about two hours ago. And, um, and so how are you feeling, Will? And uh, 
uh, you know, I just, all I remember are the lights. <laughs> all I remember are the lights <laughs> from the cameras coming on me very brightly. And apparently they literally had to stop tape because I was just like, blah, 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 go, blah, 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 blah. And just yammered like a fool. And so they're like, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I want to win Vince Stein's money. And so uh, they ended up retaping it. You can actually find it on YouTube now. That is amazing. Um, so I'm, I'm actually, uh, it's, it's probably really funny because years later, uh, once Deadspin had started, once I kind of made my name as a writer a little bit, I'd actually had written about this. In fact, this is what actually kind of launched my writing career is I used to write a column for alternative weeklies called Life as a Loser. And this was the first column that wrote out of that. And it kind of got a little bit of following and actually got to Kimmel and he was actually interviewed about it one time. He's like, yes, I know the story. I've read Will's work. I'm aware of it. Um, I guess I'm sorry, but man, you, you didn't have to answer the question, honestly. And you know what? He's right. I should have lied and said, we're totally happy. I can't wait to be on the show. So, uh, so yeah, that, that is my origin story as a writer, uh, as a, uh, is, as, a, as at least an essayist is the idea that, uh, I, and I did not win Ben Sides money though. He was a lovely man and very, very funny. They were, I, I will say, question. I definitely came out of that thinking like, you know, Ben Stein, awesome. This other guy, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and look how that turned out. That's unbelievable. When when you were in journalism school at the University of Illinois, uh, did you want to be an essayist? Were you dead set on being a film critic? Like, what was the career path that you had thought you were going to take while being in college? Yeah, I wanted to be a film critic. You know, I worked for the Daily Illini, the newspaper, which of course Roger Ebert worked at, as well as uh, Hugh Hefner was a was a famous cartoonist for uh, for the I don't know why he ended up having so a semi successful career in publishing just a little bit. And uh, and so, but I, I worked for the Daily Illini, and it was funny because my kind of twin passions were movies and sports, and I mm-hmm. loved sports. And the Daily Illini back then would pay you eighty five cents per column inch that you wrote, and every story is about ten to fifteen column inches. Which for a college kid, I was like, I will write every story I can. I I'm not here on scholarship or a grant. I need, I got to pay my rent. And so I started, so I started writing about sports and I was like, I really love, cause I loved writing about sports. I love sports and I like to write about the things that I care about. And so I did well enough that I kind of got promoted up to basically cover uh, Illinois football. I got to cover the Illinois football team. I got to fill in on a game. This is my sports reporter origin story or lack yeah. thereof, which is basically I was, they, I went, they, I got a press pass, right? And I'm from Champaign. I'm from Mattoon, which is an hour from Champaign. They were the Yankees. They were the local sports team. Illinois yeah. was the biggest deal uh, in the world. So to me, to be in a press box covering a sporting event, I was like, I, I've made it. I've, yeah. It never gets better than this. Yeah. This is as good as it's ever going to get. And I, perhaps foolishly, probably being a small town kid, I imagined once I got up to the press box, all the people up there would just be like dancing and happy. Like, wow, I get to write about sports for a living. I get, they're giving me free food. I got in this game for free. I get to talk to the players afterward. I imagine they would be floating on air once I got up there. So I go up to the press box and of course, as I now know, everybody up there is some middle-aged guy being like, ah, this food's cold. This game's lasting too long. These players are not as interesting as I want them to be. I remember, and I kept so disillusioned that I remember thinking, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life after this. But I am not writing about sports. Those guys are miserable. <laughs> I'm not going to do that at all. Uh, and so that was actually kind of the origin story. So I actually, you know, I kept writing about movies. I kept writing about sports, but really just kind of on the side, I really wanted to make sure if I ever, I just knew I didn't want to write about sports, not because I didn't like sports. Actually, I loved sports so much. And it seems like, and I wanted sports to be like a thing of joy in my yeah, life. And I did not yeah. want it to turn into that. And so that actually is kind of what leads us to Deadspin a little bit. And we can, we'll get into the, the Deadspin of it, but certainly my initial pitch for Deadspin 
spin. And my initial strategy for it was I have to write about sports. If I'm going to do this, if I'm going to write about this thing that I love very deeply, I am not going to do it like they do it. Yeah. I'm not going to do it in a way that makes sports not fun for me. And, and so I, I've been writing about sports now for 25, 30 years, and I still deeply love sports. So to me, that was always the goal. If I ever got in a situation where I became one of those guys in the press box and I was like, oh, I can't believe this game is taking so long, as opposed to saying, oh, my God, I can't believe this is my job. <laughs> like for me, that was the big difference in the, in the big change. So that's what I kind of wanted to do with Deadspin once it kind of came out was to make sure it was a site that recognized that people treat sports as something that's fun, not as some sort of job or burden or, or business, so on. Ryan, it, it just reminds me because I know you're a guy uh, who probably loves to poke fun at the old guard of sports media who do complain about the food in the press box or being delayed on a flight or, you know, not being able to get through credentials in time. It's like you hit the nail on the head, Will, and it still is that way. I guess that's <laughs> just how it is. It's because they're doing their job um, yeah. and not every job is glamorous, but just funny to realize that, especially when you thought you had made it to the Holy Land uh, covering <laughs> Illinois. It's the exact same way still. Yeah, and I would say that, like you know, and listen, I I, I don't I don't mean to disrespect the like it, those. It's a you can job. disrespect them. It's okay. It's, it's a day. It's certainly some I will happily <laughs> do it. Yeah, some I will happily disrespect with with glee. Uh, right. But I would say that like. Listen, I I was never a beat reporter. Like beat reporter is a tough job. You are there all the time. It's a tougher job now because you're expected to tweet all day and like take video. I I could never do that job. I always wanted to. Again, that was my main strategy. If I was going to be a sports writer or write about sports, I I actually always say I'm a writer who writes about sports. I am not a sports writer, which is a great way for sports writers to hate. <laughs> uh, and, but uh, but I do like you know I that's, love that's a way that's a way. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I anyway, mean, yeah, so yeah, so that, that was always the way I wanted to do it. Instead of finance, yeah. anyway. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, that is a big thing with journalism schools. If you, people didn't go to the Northwestern Journalism School, they went to Medill. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yes. I hear that with with Georgia a lot. Grady, you go to Grady, Grady you go to Grady. You don't go to Georgia. You don't go to, uh, to Georgia Business School. You go to Grady, which uh, I guess that means you probably went to a good school because I went to the journalism school at <laughs> Illinois. We yeah. had no special name. <laughs> you know, uh, the origin stories about Deadspin kind of remind me a lot uh, of how podcasts started or how podcasts yeah. still are. Hey, I want to talk about it the way I want to talk about it. I want to have fun. I don't want to have to answer to somebody. Uh, in founding Deadspin back in 2005, yeah. you really kind of carved out a niche for that alternative sports information age that we're currently living in. How how was that? Getting that off the ground, really understanding, wow, I think I have something here because even more so now, that is so hard to do. Yeah, and uh, I do think that, um, first off, I – uh, I will. I would like to note as one that started Deadspin, all the stuff that's good about the media now because of that change, I take full responsibility for and to full credit, you're welcome. Good. All good. the stuff that went wrong, I had nothing to do with that. That Obviously. was other people did, abusing my vision. Yes. And uh, and so I, I, I plead innocent on that. But certainly, I think that Deadspin... I think it initially got big for one of the reasons you're kind of hitting at. It was so new. It would be so hard, I, nay, impossible to start a Deadspin now because it, there's just not only are there so many different voices in this realm, we're also much more jaded about this stuff now. Everybody, you know, you know, it's uh, uh, opinions are like, uh, 
uh, earlobes. Yes. Everybody has two. Yes. I, I, yes. I may be messing up that phrase. Yes. Uh, but uh, but more to the point, like I, I do think that every now that everybody has a voice, I think starting something new and just breaking out is is harder. The nice thing about Deadspin, I mean, for basically two years, I was the only full time sports blogger in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, like, true. so I was able to like really kind of own the space a little bit in a way. And, and I do think uh, we joke about the journalism, uh, the old school journalism stuff, but like I did go to journalism school. I still feel like while we had more fun with the form and we certainly played with it and, and were a little less self-serious, at least I hope so. I still felt like, you know, I still felt like there was a certain foundation of like, these stories need to be true. We need to back these things up. We are not going to just throw up anything we want to just because it's the web and we can. And I think that helped too, because I think there were other people that launched quickly after Deadspin when they saw that Deadspin was kind of catching on that were just like, hey, let's just make stuff up and throw it up. And they didn't really catch on. Now there's just, there's just so many of them yeah. <laughs> that you can't fight them yeah. all. Uh, but certainly I think the advantage that I think Deadspin had, I don't necessarily think, I hope people like the stuff that I did in the site and hope like they worked that I did. But I don't think that people went to Deadspin every day saying, wow, Will Leach has so many brilliant things to say about the world of sports. I can't wait to hear every word. I think it was just new and it was different and it filled a space that I think people were clearly wanting. And so, you know, I, I, I was, ha I was there only there for three years, you know, I started yeah. it. And then uh, one of my, one of my big rules, uh, which now seems incredibly quaint, though it's one I still stick to. I don't like to look at numbers. This was my first thing I did when I started with Deadspin. Like, well, I'm not going to look at the traffic numbers. I'm not like, if, 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 if it's not working, I'll know, and I'll move on and do something else. But yeah, the, I, you know, I did not want to feel like I was a, like I was a hamster in a cage running really fast to make sure I could get a pellet. Or something, and I think that helped Deadspin too, because I think it gave it a certain credibility that uh, you could not look at the early days of Deadspin. I think later you could make the argument, maybe you could, but you couldn't look at the early days and say it's all clickbait. They're just trying to get numbers. I was like, I don't even know what the numbers are. I'm just trying to write a funny site, and I think people responded to that uh, as as it was, there was a there was an earnestness to it that I think people responded to rather than a uh, uh, please 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 look click, please click please click please click. The example I always use of this. Remember when Adam Morrison played in the NCAA tournament and he cried, that really great game, Gonzaga and UCLA. And at the end of the game, he cried. It was this big, it was a credible game. It was all everyone was talking about was Adam Morrison crying after the game. And the headline to the piece, now the headline would be like, you watch video, Adam Morrison loses it on <laughs> yes, death. And yes. literally, literally my headline was, it gets the feelings out. That was literally the entire headline was just, and like, that's not very SEO friendly yeah, <laughs> to yeah. say the very least, but like, that was a thing for people. If you, if you read the site and you got the tone of the site, you understood that rather than uh, uh, trying to grab every random eyeball you could. And I think, I think that helped out a lot. You, you did do, and Ryan, get a question in, please, because you did do, back in those days, some of those micro blogs, right, where it was, it gets the feelings out, and it was just yeah. the video, and you'd put three sentences in, um, because that's what people would come for, the quick satisfaction, I want to hear Will's thoughts, and then move on. It's brilliant, because we see it so often now. Yeah, and, and it's weird, because at the time, you know, it, I think it's actually probably made me that much more skeptical now of a lot of online media today, to be honest, because yeah. I remember seeing things and like i remember like you know i mean i worked with i, I worked with people on the site like i wrote everything but there were there were business people that were surrounding me and constantly irritated by me because <laughs> i was like yeah just don't don't tell me i'm just gonna make the thing sell ads around it if you want and but because of that you know i think that 
I saw all the temptations and all the quick hits and all. I used to joke that like, listen, guys, we could make this site really huge if if every if every headline was Britney Spears naked, uh, Colts win 13-7. You know, like we, we could totally do that if we wanted to. If, if, if I'm aging myself for by the way, how yes. long it was that that oh, that this site did, but that's I, still a headline. I guess it is. Yeah. I guess yeah, I, you yeah. know what? That that's an evergreen. That's just a perpetual <laughs> forever throughout. Uh, but so at a certain level, you know, I I. I knew the tricks, but I was like, what's the point? Like, I don't want to do this. Like I'm making this site because I feel like I've got something to say and I feel like there's an audience for it. I don't want to do like cheap little tricks to try to like fool you into coming into the site. So I avoided that in a way that uh, ultimately I think the web economy uh, was, uh, was unable to resist uh, that. And I think that's why you see a lot of the stuff you see today. I'm interested to hear about you're a writer, a self-described writer, and you built this website that became a phenomenon and, and became a big business. I mean, how did you manage the business side of this, you know, and also keep your sanity writing? I, mean, <laughs> I can see, you know, you've, you've created this monster. I would feel like, yeah. you know, how would you... Uh, how did you manage all of that? I would say that I was surprised myself how good I was at it, and uh, therefore... Uh, came to a point where I needed to make a decision, which is to say, one thing I, you know, I, when I did Deadspin, I, and I had, I wrote everything. <laughs> like I, I had a, a friend named the, my friend, the late Rick Chandler would, he lived in San Francisco. So he would write a couple overnight posts in case there was like a big news story, but otherwise everything was me. And so I became very obsessive and very micromanaging and very like, forget micromanaging. I was just like, I don't need to manage anyone. I will just do it all myself. And so, I, cause this was, yeah. you know, I was 30, one years old when Deadspin broke. I had been out in New York uh, trying to make it as a writer for seven, eight years to the point where like my Midwestern parents were like, what are you doing out there exactly? <laughs> like I remember I remember when Deadspin launched it like, oh yeah, another website. Boy, this one's, this one's really going to be great for him. <laughs> yeah. And so, which I get, you know? And so like for me, I kind of realized pretty early on that Deadspin was the break that I'd kind of been waiting for. So I wanted to, I obsessed over it and did everything and did all the business and all the writing and all of everything. And I was good at it and I was good at, at handling, not just selling ads and sell that, that was one thing, but really it was really more about having a consistent tone and building. I didn't think of it as building a brand, but that's really kind of what it was right like like that you did not anything that you went on deadspin you need to know what you were going to get when you were going to deadspin we weren't mm -hmm. going to throw a lot of weird stuff at you i i had to develop like a very consistent voice for the site that even after i left i think the voice still had they took it in different directions and kind of like went i would say they probably made it more overtly political after i left uh than, than it was when i was there which is you know i think everything really kind of became more overtly political after I, after i left so but i think the tone was still there and the view was still there and the voice was still there and so that was really what i was trying to establish once you establish that a lot of the the business stuff kind of really kind of comes to you at that point because then they know what people know what you are they're like oh this is what you are do we want to be in business with you and i was able to get good at that to the point where i realized this is actually not what i want to do <laughs> and like and, and not to say that i don't admire the business stuff i i, I the people that i i i i mean, i still working i mean i'm a I'm a full-time writer in the year 2023. I understand how a checkbook works. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm able to pull it together. Like I, I, I certainly know how to, uh, I, I can certainly have business savvy, but that's not what I, I, you know, you see guys from that time that became like entrepreneurs. You look at like a Dave Portnoy at Barstool. He got more into the business side of it than, uh, and I knew I could do that, but just frankly, 
just didn't want to <laughs> just didn't, like I'm a writer, you know, and I, and I felt like I had enough. So for me, the business stuff I was good at and I enjoyed doing. But one of the main reasons I left was I started to realize eventually they're going to make me look at the traffic numbers and yeah. eventually they're <laughs> going to make me do this stuff. And I don't want to. <laughs> and so uh, yeah. so because of that, I think uh, I shifted into I went to work for New York Magazine. I still work for Deadspin. I still consulted on Deadspin, still helped out. But uh, I made a conscious decision. I and more power to people like Dave and people that went in that direction. But, uh, you know, that I wasn't really interested in that. I, I, I didn't I didn't go into this to to uh to to do instagram videos into my phone and give betting advice nothing against yeah. any of those things yeah, of course i just i don't care about that stuff <laughs> that much and so uh i was much I, I was fortunate enough that deadspin got big enough and well known enough that it gave me the freedom to kind of make that decision and i feel still making that decision today yeah i think it's it's great to have that awareness and so many times in business you see founders who start great companies and there's an inflection yeah. point where they go you know what i'm not a ceo and they go yeah. hire an outside ceo and they go found another company so uh, yeah. I commend you with that. Now, you said you're doing work for New York Magazine. We're going to get to that in a second. And it kind of leads into this question. But the evolution of consumer habits in the information era, right? Yeah. Anything you could have seen coming as to where the media landscape is today compared to 18 years ago when you started Deadspin? Um, I would say one of the dumber things that I wrote back, <laughs> I wrote a book called God Save the Fan that was kind of dead spin the book. And mm -hmm. it had a lot, it was a lot of essays about the sports world and the sports media world. And there was a particularly, uh, do not go back and read this book. There's some funny lines, like almost everything wrong. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, and, uh, and, and one of the, one of the things I, I thought and totally, I and was completely incorrect about one of the big fights that people had when I was doing Despot was the idea that uh, um, if you were a wrote about sports, you should never have a favorite team or you should never be partial to anyone. The idea, I, I remember writing on Deadspin that I was a St. Louis Cardinals fan and they'd be like, what, how, but, but you're a writer, you're a journalist, you can't root for a team. And I was just like, that's insane. Like that's insane. Cause for me at a certain level, uh, if I, uh, if I, if, if I, like, I love Georgia football, I love Illinois basketball. I love the Cardinals to put that aside artificially, a would be impossible. And B if for me to actually do it would surgically remove one of the things that makes me deeply care about sports in the first place. It always felt very bizarre that you would ask someone to do that. And my argument at the time was, listen, it's okay. And like fans are as tough as anyone. Uh, they will be impartial that they want their team to win. They want to be want their team to win. So I don't think it necessarily makes you a bad beat writer. If you were to have a, if you like run a blog about your team or run like a very active Twitter account about your team, I think that's actually, because I think you would, you will be tougher on your team than you ne than necessarily otherwise. I was wrong about that. <laughs> Certainly. I, I think we have seen clearly. Uh, and I think a lot of that's just changed in the way that everything has become I, this, I don't mean this in a political way, but everything has become more partisan. Like you are your team and, and it's everyone against your team, whatever it is. And I think I was definitely wrong about the idea that I uh, now it's it's kind of strange to me to see like I now like I, I try not to go in press boxes now. But when I go to a press box now, I will see one or two reporters like there were when I was in 2005, where it was all like, I work for this newspaper and I am buttoned up and I don't care about who wins any of this. And everyone else is 24 seven and rivals and the personal thing. And that's fine. I don't think that's yeah. bad. Like I, I subscribe to a lot of those places. I'm not against those things, but I think there's definitely more. I think as the media industry has 
uh, had more financial trouble in the last, uh, particularly the last half decade or decade or so. And as uh, athletic programs have had less financial trouble over the last half decade or decade or so, I think they are exerting more power than they used to have. And I don't think there's anyone to fight back against them. So I think that's something I've changed a lot. The place is just not full of uh, I, I don't know if anyone's aware, but the like a lot of the newspapers around here cover Georgia sports, and there's sometimes contentious. <laughs> uh, sometimes there's some contentious discussions about some of the stories they write. Interesting, and and, uh, and so I think that like uh, that that dichotomy. There was a time ten years ago where a, a theoretical newspaper would write something about Georgia, and the default stance would be like, "Oh my gosh, what's Georgia going to do? How are they going to respond to this?" Now it's a screw those guys. Georgia, uh, and for the record, we don't want to get the details of the story, but like, I do think Georgia probably had the high ground on this one. <laughs> I think yeah. it's fair to yeah. say, but I think the initial reaction is much different than it was 10 years ago. Now it's a, 10 years ago would have been, oh man, the, the general constitution has got the goods on him. What's Georgia going to do? Now it's a general constitution is a failing publication that is desperate for clicks and is out and it has an yeah, agenda. It's tribalism. It's and, true and, tribalism. And whatever the actual facts of that case are, and I we can discuss them if you want, but more to the <laughs> point, uh, the 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 initial reaction is so different than it was 15, 20 years ago. You can argue whether that's better. You can argue whether it's worse, but it's certainly different. Absolutely. Yeah, that was, that yeah, you was hit, well you hit the nail on the head on that one. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so tell us about your path to sleepy Athens, Georgia. You know, you're a big <laughs> shot guy on game shows, breaking hearts, <laughs> right? Yes. Jimmy Kimmel its platform to become a, a, a late yeah. night TV. Yeah, you're welcome for that one, America. <laughs> yeah, and now and now you're in sleepy five points. Uh, how, how'd you give us why you chose Athens? How, so, how'd you get so, here? So I lived in New York for 13 years. I moved there in January 2000. Uh, I spent uh, uh, really the first five years surfing couches. <laughs> Where did you live in New York? Uh, you name it. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> basically, wherever whoever had a spare room for the first five years, and then uh, and then eventually, I, I kind of settled in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. I lived in, in Brooklyn once. I once that's been hit, and I was able to like you know. I didn't have to buy the dollar slices of pizza to get me through the week. Uh, I was able to get to get my own apartment and uh, and settle in Cobble Hill. And so I lived there for a long time. And I met my my wife is from Columbus, Georgia. She's from Columbus. She went to Brookstone. And I got to be some some Brookstone people out there. Uh, she is uh, one of my favorite stories about meeting her was uh, she uh, when I met her in New York. She, I was still doing Deadspin when I met her, and I was very was glad she to working for a game show. She was not working for a game show. No, no, no. <laughs> believe you me. Believe you me. I would have ran the opposite direction. Have a second. And she's like, I have this new radio DJ. I think he's got a future in television. Get away from me. Um, but no, they. Uh, uh, she was. She was. She was a journalist. Well, now she's interior designer, but she was a journalist at the time. And uh, one, I remember talking to her, and she's like, "I'm like, so where are you from?" And she's like, um, "She's from Georgia." And she's like, "So you work in sports? So like, there's a friend of mine from college. Uh, we're really good friends, and." He like he's a coach somewhere like at maybe Auburn. I'm like, well, what's his name? She's like Kirby Kirby Curbs. And I was Come like on. Kirby Smart, Kirby Smart, the defensive coordinator at Alabama. That's your wow. friend. I was like, yes, I do know who that is. Uh, and she's like, oh, so he's doing well? Yes, he is doing well. <laughs> and uh, and here we are all together here in yeah. 2023. So uh, the point is, is that like uh, I met her out there and our first son, William, uh, who just started middle school yesterday, uh, was born in New York. He was born in Brooklyn. Uh, my favorite story of that was uh, um, we 
we we we uh, I don't want to get the details of it, but we made very clear that the birth was about to happen. So we literally got in a cab, as one does in New York, and went to our hospital. And got, when I got out of the car, uh, we got out of the car. A bunch of paparazzi jumped out to take pictures of us, and I was like, "Okay, Deadspin is not that big. Like that's not that's not what's going on." And it turned out. Blue Ivy, Beyonce's child, was expected around the same time, and she had <laughs> really? told the paparazzi that beyond that her child was going to be born at that hospital. So they were on middle of the night alert. So that's how I knew I was about to become a father was when some random creepo uh, jumped out of the bushes to take a picture. I was like, "Oh, it's just you." Uh, anyway, the point <laughs> is, uh, uh, we lived in uh, we lived in Brooklyn, and uh, and all of a sudden our apartment started feeling weirdly small once we had a third person in it. So yeah. we started looking around. We started looking around. We actually looked at Charleston, South Carolina, which is where some of our two of our best friends uh, uh, live. And uh, we looked at New Orleans, we looked at Austin. But once we hit Athens, I'd never actually been here. She went to school here. Uh, I'd never actually been here. But, you know, I fell in love with it immediately. You know, it has everything that I kind of love. Uh, yeah. One of the things that I think when I write about my last two books were set in Athens. And one of the things I love about Athens that I think makes a, a great place to set them a book there's so many different types of people here that, and they converge, right? Like one of the things that I uh, ultimately became very frustrated about New York and the same way I got frustrated about my hometown in Manton, Illinois, even though they're obviously very different places. There's just like, everyone is just kind of in their little silos. Like you could, you could walk around the three block radius in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn and not find a single person that, that, that who would challenge you, who would disagree with any of you uh, on, or whether you not disagree with you, but like everyone all has a, like a list of things that we all believe. Often the put signs in their front yards about them and uh and uh and 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 in mattoon my my hometown which is obviously very different politically but it was the same kind of way like there, there really weren't a, a variety of people that believe sort of different things and i love that about athens i love that that uh you know this being a college campus you know there's the music community and there's the uh, but there's the there's the there's the professor community there's the actress community but there's also the Watkinsville community and there's also the then there's also the the, the Nelly B uh community like there's a I think I love about Athens it's so many different type of people in a small place and it forces people to interact with one another it forces people to uh and one of the things I love about Georgia football is it doesn't matter like what I believe or what my value are ne that person sitting next to me for those three hours is my best friend. Yeah. And that is something I <laughs> yeah. love about sports. And so they've always, always loved about sports. And frankly, it's hard to find anything else like that. <laughs> it's hard to find anything else yeah. like that. And so Athens is like, is a perfect kind of place for that. I remember telling my wife when, she, when we moved here, I was like, oh, so you, you lived in Athens. So like, we're here now, like, where do we go? Where's, where, where's the place? And she's like, well, I went to school here, which is not exactly the same thing as living here and as i kind of realized that like because you know, she she went to georgia and she had fun i realized a little bit it was a little bit like asking dennis hopper what happened between like 1967 and 1973 <laughs> she was like i was at this party i was at this party yeah. i was this party and then she got six years had passed uh, so all, that's, all college. Together. that's college there are a couple widespread concerts i vaguely remember but uh so so we love it we've been here for 10 years now we've been here for 10 years that's and awesome. uh, uh and and we we we're not going anywhere we we truly truly love it here yeah, one of the things about well, Athens right now as well is is you'll see a lot of people wearing Holderness and Born shirts. The specifically <laughs> the banner year Holderness and Born shirts that our buddy Ryan Skates here design. Go check them out at the PMGN.com. This episode of Punt and the Poor Man, of course, is presented to you by Holderness and Born HBGolf.com. Athens is great. Do you I meant to say I meant I meant to say by the way, that, that was is actually 
I, 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 I was just about to say you interrupted me. I was yeah. just about to say that was actually my favorite part about Athens were those shirts. So, uh, so thank you for sticking yeah. that in. Thank you for sticking that in. I, so now I don't have it. They're everywhere. Uh, uh, do you frequent the Royal Peasant? I think the Royal Peasant's one of the great institutions in all of Athens, Georgia, the pub right there oh, in yeah. Five Points. I did a meeting there yesterday, Ivan, Mike, and the guys. It's mm-hmm. awesome. It's one of my favorite places ever. It's so good. That is within walking distance of my home. So awesome. yes, <laughs> yes, awesome. yes. I've actually, and I'm actually, I actually love soccer too. So like, yeah, uh, and you don't have to love soccer to to love the Royal Peasant. It actually, I, I, one of my favorite things, I have friends that are loyalists there that don't care about soccer. It was very amusing during the World Cup last year. I went, I, the US was playing there and some my family and I went to go watch the game outside. And there was a friend of mine who's at that bar all the time being like, well, what's everybody doing here today? I'm like, oh, you're at a soccer <laughs> bar. Yeah. I know they, this is also a great bar in addition to being a soccer bar but yeah no we love it and you know and my my friend tim kelly runs the great rook and pawn uh downtown the the board game cafe though you could not find two more different places than the royal peasant the rook and pawn but they're both wonderful places to go and also speaks to one of the things that's great about athens absolutely i mean what a great pickup it is it was when you moved to athens for all the people who love georgia and love that kind of halcyon time in their mind in athens because uh when when it, it comes through in your writing and you are such a prolific writer with your uh, newsletter and your books and everything to be able to see Athens through your lens um yet for those of us who have moved away is is really an amazing amazingly cool thing oh. uh, so I, I want to say thank you for that for one oh, thing then I want to segue into your two books um you you have how lucky and the time has come um uh, which are fantastic books about Athens and what Will said about all these different kinds of people living in town and how their lives intermix. He's done a masterful job of of showing that in these books. They almost read like love letters to Athens. And uh, mm-hmm. I especially like this last one. It revolves around a drugstore. The time has come revolves around a drugstore in Five Points, uh, which uh, is, it's a fictional drugstore, but you... Uh, you just hit the nail on the head as far as capturing, you know, all the the essence of, of five points, all the things. I love the way you brought Jack Davis drawings into it. Obviously, I've always been a huge Jack <laughs> of course, Davis fan. Of course, of course. I thought uh, of you when somebody... I wrote that, just so you know. <laughs> when I was writing, I was like, oh, well, Ryan's going to love this. <laughs> I did. I, I read it out loud to my wife. It was amazing. Uh, so, but anybody who loves Athens and, you know, wants to, wants to relive those days of when they were there, you know, go get these books. I mean, they take you there um, in a really cool and special way that that hasn't been done before. And I just wanted to thank you for that and, you know, congratulate you on doing a, a great job. And you mentioned you might have another book coming out. I want to hear more about that. Yeah. So basically uh, how lucky was, because, but, you know, I've, I'd actually written four books before I kind of became novelist guy writing about Athens. And mo- one was a series of essays and there were a couple sports books in there, but I actually didn't write a book for about 10 years. And then I wrote how lucky, uh, one of the things that inspired how lucky, how lucky tells the story of Daniel who has a disability called spinal muscular atrophy. And my wife's best friend who lives in Charleston, but is was also part of that Athens crew and went to Georgia. Uh, her son has that. He's the same age as my, as my son. So, and they're like really great friends. And so, I wanted to write something about uh, about SMA and about that disability and about what it feels like to be di- like, I just talked to a bunch of people about being disabled and and like wh- how people talk to you and how you see the world and kind of use that voice. And the, the book 
went much bigger than I thought. I wrote it as like a love letter to Athens as like a kind of passion project. And it went, and it really did really well. And so uh, HarperCollins, uh, which had bought that book, uh, gave me a two book deal after that. The first is The Time Has Come. The second one, I'm just started writing right now. So uh, I, that, these have come out every two years. My goal is to write one of these every two years until me or my editor at Harper dies. He is younger <laughs> and I used to smoke. So I think he's counting on me <laughs> kicking out first. Uh, but um, but I think that like he uh, that that to be able to write again, you know, I, the next book is it takes place in Athens and Atlanta. And um, to be able to set them here, it, I, it, I, I don't feel like I'm just trying to accurately portray Athens. And uh, and if I'm glad it feels like a love there because I love Athens. But the thing is, it's funny to me that a lot of people, like most people that buy these books are not from Athens and often have no connection to Athens. And it's awesome. It's very exciting to hear them be like, oh man, I gotta go to Athens. It looks well. I, I, I was I was fortunate enough to be able to promote the the book on some. I went up to New York and promote the time has come on some on some uh, on some media stuff out there. And I was actually on Morning Joe in the morning to have Willie Geist come by and be like, man, you live in Athens. He went to Vanderbilt, so keep that in yeah. mind. And uh, but have him yeah. be like, man, you're living the dream. You get to write. You get to live in Athens and then come out talk to us about it in New York and then go back to Athens. What are we doing? <laughs> and I kind yeah. of appreciated. Like anyone that's had the experience with Athens, I think they read the books and they're like, like you're saying, Ryan, they're like, wow, like, why are we not there? <laughs> and I feel like that uh, I, I encourage everybody, listen, make my property values continue to yeah, call up yeah. everyone to <laughs> Athens, everyone to Athens. You're very much encouraged to do so. As a resident uh, in Athens and with football season being just a couple of weeks away, describe the vibe when a <laughs> home game is, yeah. is in tow. Uh, is it Thursday? Is it Wednesday? Is it nobody works on Friday? What's that like as, as a resident? <laughs> One of my favorite things, and you're about to see because the students, of course, are coming back now. Um, uh, we live close enough to the intramural fields that the you know the band will yep. practice at the intramural fields, yeah, the and that's how we always know it's the week because it's cool. like because you forget you're like okay oh, you're in the, you know the kids are at school we're running around I'm busy my wife's busy you don't really understand what's going on and then you hear it and you hear them practicing I'm like oh my god that's right it's game week and it, and it really becomes like a full. You know, when you live here, again, I can walk, you know, I live in Five Points. I can walk to the stadium. I've had season tickets for Georgia basketball for since I moved here. So I can walk there. And to be able to have all of that, one of the things I always kind of love is uh, whenever they come back, um, they, you know, I, I we live off uh, very close to College Station and uh, and Southview. And so that's, of course, you know, Buttsmere is like my kids go to Barrow, which is right across the street right. from Buttsmere. I always, I always note that like, um, People always ask me, like, so are your sons Illinois fans or Georgia fans? I'm like, well, one day my son went to school and Nick Chubb was sitting at his desk. So I'm not going to make them, I'm not going to be like, sorry, we're watching Illinois Purdue at noon today. Yes. Like, <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, like, you know, to be able to have that. Uh, uh, like, so the bus will always go by and people like go out in the street and wait for the bus to go by when it's leaving. Like, that is, you know, I listen college sports is big business. We all know how big of a business it's become. And sometimes that business can get ugly. And I think we're seeing with uh, all the changes with, with expansion and all the changes with realignment and all the thing and all the TV contracts and, and, and people and NIL and all this stuff, it can feel increasingly professionalized and yeah. sometimes distant to people. And I understand that. I 
but there, and anytime I start to get down by that, I remember like, yeah, but like those are 19 year old kids on that bus that are excited to go by and, and, and watch, watch my family and all the other dorks in our neighborhood literally run out and wave to them like they're coming back from Friday Night Lights, yeah. right? Like yeah. it, like yeah. it really is that kind of vibe that anytime that the, the corporatism and the cat and all that stuff kind of can feel because I know I listen, I have people that outside of Athens because it's hard to be down on college football in Athens right now but I have friends of mine outside of Athens who the NIL stuff really gets them down yeah. and 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 it doesn't get me down but that's a separate discussion but I understand like I get it I understand the game is different things have changed uh you know uh Kansas and Missouri you know I mean these rivalries we don't have like a bunch of rivalries we're going to be losing you know like a lot of things are changing a lot of things that people love god forbid if you're a fan of Washington State football. Uh, I don't know where your team is going to be in, yeah. in five years. So I get it. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of changes. There's a lot of things that aren't great. And anytime I that can get overwhelming, I just remember like, yeah, but this is actually still like a small town where this big, massive thing that again, yes, makes billions of dollars for a lot of people is actually like still this small, like they still, I still see the, I still, uh, for the record, every time I see a football player, they're on a scooter and they're not going that fast. Okay. I just <laughs> yeah. want to be very, very clear about that. <laughs> that so, is on the record. Uh, so like, so I find it very charming. Like to me that I always, that's being close enough to it. You still have to be careful because I think sometimes you can get, there can be a little bit too tribalism when you're too close. But I think to be able to have that experience, it makes it it's it makes you it makes it everything really personal and everything's more fun when it's more personal. Drew, did you have a scooter when you were at Georgia? Oh yeah, Yamaha Vino, forty nine cc's. I used to ride that thing on <laughs> the loop to go see. Oh my, my gosh! Parents, to oh go see gosh. my parents, uh, it was one exit, uh, ECV to the next exit where my parents tailgated after games. So I'd be on the I'd be on That's the loop incredible. on my. On my Vino. That well, was like post game, no, like post game. Yeah, post -game. <laughs> yeah. And, and the cops would be out there directing traffic, so they knew me. And they'd be like, "Come on!" And it was great. Uh, you should have no. stayed. You should have stayed in uniform. That would have been incredible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now, did the punter get his own, or did you have to like ride up behind Clint? Did you have to? get behind him and wrap your arms around him look i've got some i've got some war stories of scooters back in the day you know our biggest you know it wasn't the athens pd when i was in school it was university of georgia parking services oh. like it was an all-out war they're evil by the way they I'm are, on dude, record. They, are <laughs> they are the worst are there the is worst. no doubt about it will you've told us everything uh you've told us about your breakups you've told us about your <laughs> your family where your kids go to school your i got more breakout i got i got i got more breakout breakup stories if you guys have some time if you i was gonna ask you i was gonna ask you what your social security number is i mean we're getting it all out there um i want to get a couple of quick hitters before we let you go but yes. one that you might have to think about is this going back to your dead spin days even now with new york magazine were there any stories that you really wanted to publish that you just weren't able to, that you couldn't source well enough or that maybe your higher up said, don't do it? Is there anything that comes to mind where you're like, man, I thought I had it. This was one that I was itching to press publish and I just couldn't do it for any sort of reason. Well, one of the nice things about Deadspin is I didn't have any higher ups. So, uh, and so, the, and I and I can prove that because um, if I had published a lot, uh, uh, if I had published a lot of the things that weren't quite there, uh, people would uh, uh, people would not talk so fondly about Deadspin. <laughs> the way like it would have never become a thing. And like that's kind of the point too. And you know, get, without getting into specifics, 
I think uh, that uh, one of the advantages that I think helped Deadspin was I had a ton of those stories. Yeah. <laughs> I had a ton of those stories and they were almost there. And in the early days, I think there was, I think even the readership would kind of encourage me to be like, come on. Tell yeah, us. just do it. Yeah, let's just yeah, do it. Absolutely. And, 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 I, and I get that. And I get that. But like, you know, I, I, I made the decision then, I think correctly, that if I was just constantly stuff up that wasn't that i thought may be true or it's just you know we'll see we'll find out uh it's the internet whatever you could do whatever i think that's been would have not i think it would have lost credibility pretty quickly not that like credibility was the goal but yeah. certainly you know you can't just be throwing up crap all the time and so i think that there were there were some there there were some good ones <laughs> there were some good ones and of course the most famous story that deadspin ever did uh it was actually after i left was probably Man, the the story. Absolutely. And I think that's and I think now we've seen the doc. I think Netflix done the doc has done a documentary about and I remember uh I was uh the there there were uh, ad week magazine did a oral history of Deadspin. And I actually was sitting down with the reporter. Uh we shut our phones off. This is people used to do that, by the way. Uh we shut our <laughs> we shut our phones off and sat and talked at lunch for like two hours of this long history of Deadspin, this whole story. And we put our phones back on and the Te Manti Teo story had broken literally wow. while we were all while we got off. I literally turned around and said, Oh, I'm sorry. Uh everything I just told you is now completely outdated and irrelevant because they just broke the biggest story they've ever broken. That's and I crazy. would argue what Deadspin was really about at its best, and Deadspin is not around anymore. And mm -hmm. apparently there's a zombie thing still publishing. AI stuff on there, but the site itself is not around anymore. And but when I when I think about why what what I was proud of about Deadspin, that to me the Manti Teo story was exactly what it was because the story was not Manti Teo's a jerk, let's get him. The story was a bunch of people did not check it out. A bunch of people decided they liked the narrative. Yep. They yep. liked the story. They were not going to question it, and they just ran with it. Deadspin broke that story by making one phone call <laughs> they made That's one phone crazy. call and it was done in like 15 minutes to the point where like you like if you if you've read the uh if you talk to the reporters about it they were just they actually stood there like almost in silence for like five minutes being like wait this is all made up and we're the ones that got this that was so easy and i think that was why it was the quintessential deadspin story it wasn't about catfishing it wasn't about manti teo it wasn't about or, or the tuyasopo whoever the other yeah. the other person was it was about everyone in the and everyone involved in sports had all decided we like this story we like this story and we are not gonna and and also like you know, sports like I, people give Pete Thamel about tr trouble about this all the time because he's the one that wrote the cover story for Sports Illustrated. That was at the end of a deadline on a Thursday. Sports Illustrated had cut a bunch of staff because they were having financial issues, so they didn't have anybody to check it. Like it really was not so much about Pete Thamel being bad. It was about the media just not having the resources and being in a hurry and making mistakes. And that was about a big as one as you could possibly make. And so that to me was why that was the quintessential Deadspin story because it was really about hey. All this stuff's going on, and no one's telling me about it. We're mm -hmm. here to question that stuff, and that's really what Desmond was about. Fascinating. I remember where I was when that story broke. I was. In it was New crazy. Yeah, it was. It, did it blow your mind? Like it's hard. Yes. To, it's so hard now. If you weren't, because remember, like you remember that year, Taylor. They thought he was going to win the Heisman. They think he finished second. He was yeah, a and, finalist, yeah. And, and he was a great player, but like it was that story was the central. His grandmother and his girlfriend died in the same week, and he followed, he plowed through <laughs> all that. Like it was like, and, and it was inspiring, and like that it was is just crazy, dude. And so, like, when that story broke, it was I'm trying to like I I couldn't come up with a modern day equivalent without like 
defaming someone about something that wasn't true. Like if it turns out that like, hey, you know, it turns out that uh, LeBron James is was actually the Zodiac killer. Like that's actually <laughs> what it was. Like it just like it blew your mind. Yeah. Because because then once you talk about it, you're like, wait a second, we really never did see that girlfriend, did we? We never really did. And it was really it just kind of blew your mind. And it's easy now because now we all now. Midnight Taylor was a good football player, even in the pros. He was still yeah. a good football player. But like, this is obviously what he'll be known for forever. And it's hard to, if, if I'm so glad you brought that. What, where are you? Because I feel like that was a, one of my all time sports media where I was moments where it was like, my, wait, what? <laughs> and, uh, and now if you, if you didn't watch Tao and you weren't involved with college football that year, I don't remember what happened with Georgia football that year. I don't, I have I know memories of what happened with him during that season. Let's move on immediately. Uh, but certainly uh, I think that uh, if you followed that season, that Teo story was just a much. No doubt. No doubt. Great Gosh, perspective. But... Historical. No question. Yeah, yeah. Well, awesome stuff. All right. Last thing, walk us through your, you know, you live in five points. You got kids who love Georgia football. Tell us your game day schedule. What, what are you going to do on opening day? Where, where do you tailgate? Or you don't have to tell us exactly where. We aren't oh, going to track you down. But That's right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Let us live vicariously through you and your Athens dream. I, uh, well, cause I, I, it's always better, as we all know, it's always better when it's not a noon game. If you don't have a noon game, you can do the full experience. And so opening over this year is kind of the – perfect time because the yeah. game is not the game is the game like i always i've always thought that like the the notre dame game people always talk about like that was one of the great experiences and it was a great but it was almost too much like that right. was like i i actually feel like people were dialed up too high but like i never worried that about was going, crazy yes, yeah it, right. it was like a little bit much and like i just found that everyone was turned up a little and the game was at eight and it lasted like yeah. To this day, I always say, and it took forever. It was like a four-hour game. And remember, they almost lost that game. Like that actually got a little closer. We don't think of it now because it because it wasn't it wasn't dramatic like the other game. But that was tight there at the end. And I was trying to imagine what would have happened if they would have lost that game after everybody tailgating all day and then a four-hour game and we're getting out at midnight and everyone's cranky. I'm just I'm just fortunate they that that was not my favorite game day experience. I will that that in Austin P where it was so hot they're like just run the let's run that but the good ones to me like this is ideal because basically i'll get up i'm a runner so i'll get up and run in the morning and it's i love getting up and running at like 6 30 and people are still all people are already tailgating people are already up they're already setting up i see the same people every every saturday 6 30 wave to them there there we go and then uh and then you know and then i gear up myself i always go to my colleague tony waller on the on the uh, adjacent not competing the adjacent <laughs> wait since last saturday podcast great like, podcast absolutely great podcast scott tony's Duvall. a great guy tony is the best and so is scott duvall who also does uh the show with us uh he runs a tailgate i always uh, he he invited me to a tailgate when i first moved to athens i didn't know anybody here so i will never ever not go to tony's tailgate and then we have the, and then we have the big you know the, then there's, there's there's a big family pot uh, pot uh tailgate uh right by right down there we i and then along the way i will run into four or five other tailgates of people that i know or family members or, yeah. or friends or and then, to me that's that is the spirit of it is you can already since well, again we're a month away and you can already you know even get the kids back to school it feels like we've got a month to prepare and a For month sure. to be all set up. And I want to, this, this, I'll close on this, uh, on this note. I always talk about this. I know there's been a lot of complaints about the schedule this year. There's been a lot of complaints and understand. I, again, I do not think it's George's fault. I think they wanted to play Oklahoma and it didn't work out, but like certainly by that fourth home game, 
it's good. I think a lot of people be like, oh, okay, seriously, like, I know. and and I understand that, but I always try to remind that like Sanford Stadium is in the like it's the 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 physical and emotional center of everything here, and it only gets used six or seven times a year. That's it. Sure. I know by the end, I, it's always amazing me by like early November, I'll be like, hey, so I'll see the game this year. This, I'll see, I'll see you at the tailgate in the game. Oh, I don't know. We got a lot going on. Like, come on, you're in Athens. Go. Yeah. Yeah, that, like, go. Yeah. And like, and I'm kind of firm in that, like, we, you know, I always remember, we all remember 2020 when there were no tailgates and I, and those games were weird anyway. And I got to go to some of the games and, I, and it was, it was a cool experience to go in a, in a stadium that would had fewer people. But the fact that there were no tailgates and the vibe around the stadium was just not, it just made me like, like a lot of people uh, during the pandemic, we all kind of did stuff. And one of my big thing was, you know what? I'm, when, when this is over, I'm going to go to all the games. I'm going to go to all the rock shows. I'm going to go to the part. I'm, I will yep. do these things. I have found most of my friends have not followed me through this. There's a lot of, I don't know. I, I got uh, uh, Love Islands on tonight. Like I, I, got, I got three episodes left. But at a certain level, I do kind of feel like uh, uh, I, I don't want to miss one of those because, you know, you never know. Someday I'm gonna be too old to get around. I gotta do these. We gotta embrace these things while we can. So yeah, the, the Saturday tailgate experience is. I can't wait. I can't yeah. wait. I will, and I will love it in the four in the week four game against South Carolina when it's still hot. Somehow it's still so hot, uh, and we had four straight blowouts. I'm still gonna love it because uh, I, I I I we just had a whole uh, spring and and summer where we didn't have it. And I missed. It. You're right. You know, people yeah. did capitalize on the things they said they wanted to do during COVID. Uh, none more so than Ryan Skates. He freaking moved to the beach. So yeah. there you go. He was Absolutely. like, I'm out of here. I'm going to the beach. Um, Will, you got me fired up for football season. Another oh. thing that I'm fired up for, a, a holiday that I love, if you can call it that, Halloween. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I know what I'm going to be for Halloween this year. I'm going to be best-selling author will leach oh my gosh <laughs> i'm gonna that's, I'm gonna, that's what that's i'm going me. for as international this year. Of mystery. that was Absolutely. it that was that was in my that was in my uh greasier emo period i love it uh, <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all about it i'm all about it uh this has been a real treat man i hope to see you around athens maybe at the pub or at a tailgate coming up Absolutely. this fall please follow will on twitter at william f leach uh buy his books go read the time has come it has been a true joy to have you on The Punt and the Poor Man. So thank oh, you very pleasure. much, Will. Please, it's my pleasure. Keep up the great work. And uh, uh, I, for the record, last thing on this, I uh, reading The Poor Man, to this day, every time I watch an LSU game, I think of The Poor Man that, Ryan, you wrote before the Georgia at LSU game, where like basically making the argument that if we weren't Georgia fans, we would be LSU fans. And the way that you described that experience to this day is like, I'm a professional writer. Like I like, I please, I, you, I might, you might not, maybe I'm a good one, maybe I'm not, but just know that like from my, like yeah, I think about that all the time. I, I, I had not met you at that point. And I was like, all right, all right, all right I'm going to hang with this dude at some point. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> and, and, Thank you. and, and for the record, for the record, to close on this to you, uh, Drew, uh, th- there is the, nothing I will do all week that will be cooler to my children to be the fact that I talked to <laughs> I talked to, to Drew Butler. I guarantee there will be there will be nothing that will be cooler than that. So uh, so thank you for for chattering with. Very very cool man, and thank I you. completely co-sign uh, your compliments to Ryan. I love the poor man CM uh, notes. Uh, it's fantastic every single week. So Will, thanks so much, man. Have a great rest of the week. Have a great fall, and we'll see you around Athens. Absolutely. Be safe, guys. All right. Bye.
All right. Huge thanks to Will Leach for joining us here on Punt and the Poor Man. Ryan, great get. What an awesome guy. Fascinating background. I mean, his stories around Deadspin, I could have asked him a million questions and the win Ben Stein's money story. I mean, meeting Jimmy Kimmel. That's great. That's what we do here on Punt and the Poor Man. So awesome job. Thank you. Oh, man. No, my pleasure. Uh, I Again, what a get for people who, who love Athens that he just landed there. Um his uh, his newsletter, which I'll link to on social, is amazing. Every Saturday yeah. morning, he he sends out a newsletter. What I wrote this week, and he writes so every Sunday, much. every Saturday morning, it goes okay. out, and it's just a recap of whatever he wrote, whether it's New York Magazine or you know he, he does GQ. a film critic blog, anything, and yeah. uh, it, and he MLB.com. He'll write about the dogs. He writes about all kinds of stuff, and then he also will tell a story from his life that week. Oh, cool, and. Just about being a dad or living in Athens or, you know, just just life. Um, you know, he has a great one talking about how his parents are getting older and it's moving. It's yeah, really relatable moving stuff. Um, he just has such a he has such a way with words. And um, it's just we're lucky that he's he's a, a member of uh, of the community we kind of have here around UGA and the SEC in general. So uh, awesome to have him on the pod. Yeah, huge shout out. We might have to get him back on in the future and go check out his podcast as well, waiting since last Saturday. Uh, I have yeah. two bones to pick with you before we wrap this up. One, <laughs> um, no comment on my new background in the office. I mean, I've been working hard on this. I've been spending money on this. My Georgia helmet's at my dad, <laughs> my parents' house, so I'm going to go get that and put it right there. But you haven't said shit. I mean, you do you like it? Do you it not looks, like it? It, does, it, it looks busy? great. I like it. I like. I think it's That's great. It? No, I, I, it's, I like it. It's very professional. Okay. I've been I've been banished to my bedroom uh, for this for this show, so I'm just I've got a blank wall behind me. Um, we've got people doing things in my normal office. So uh, anyway, I'm, yeah, I'm just you're the star of the show. I especially like the is that Eisenhower over yeah, there. Yeah. Do you know what that is? Do you know who that's from? This is a no. Dude, this took me years to find. So I'm a gigantic Conan O'Brien fan, and Conan has this on his desk. Um, oh, okay. I, I don't even want to admit how much this cost me. Years of searching on eBay, but it is a gigantic Dwight Eisenhower mug. Uh, if you watch any Conan clips on YouTube or whatever, like this is on his desk. So was able to find that. That's an uh, homage to my, you know, one of my heroes, Conan O'Brien. Love Conan O'Brien. So. That this is it. I'm gonna add stuff, put stuff up. You know, I got yeah. Look, I'm, do, do you recognize you got this the game ball? Do you Ooh, okay, like oh, the poor man. man. I've, got some, I've got some game yeah. balls up here. Um, so yeah, we'll add some stuff in. We'll we'll see what's here. But thank you, Ryan. Thank you. And then I just I tweeted it. this out. Um, and this is not an ad, but I bought these the other day. Okay, no shell <laughs> pistachios. Okay, all right. Yeah. This is an extremely dangerous snack. All right, and this was my tweet. I said, "No shell pistachios are a very dangerous snack." With the barrier to enjoyment being removed, that of course being the shell, you eat these by the handful. I literally go like this and just pour them into my mouth, and then you turn around and look at the nutrition facts. This thing has two thousand calories and almost two hundred grams of fat in this bag, and I am housing these. You so, just destroyed it. You know, it, usually it slows you down. You got to wash your hands. You're drinking a beer. Like things kind of slow down your enjoyment of pistachios. Be careful. If you're buying no shell pistachios. That's about so, it. That's about it. That's you know, all I got. They, they asked Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead, you know, when did you know you had made it big? 
and he was like, uh, you know, when you're eating a when you're eating pistachios and some of them have shells you just can't get off because when I realized I could just throw those away and go to the next one, that's, <laughs> that's when I great. knew I'd made it. Like, they're not cheap, dude. And then, Shit's not cheap. <laughs> I know that much. I know if only, that if much. If only he could have lived to see the modern marvel of, seat of shellless pistachios. No doubt. Your no store. doubt. Well, hey, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of Pun and the Poor Man. Huge shout-out to Will Leach for joining us and an even bigger shout-out to our presenting sponsor, that, of course, being Holderness and Bourne. Holderness and Bourne offers premium apparel and accessories inspired by the game of golf. They blend classic style with modern fit and performance. HBGolf.com. They're a partner of the Poor Man's Game Notes, the official apparel provider of the Banner Year merch line offered at the PMGM Bookstore, the PMGN.com. Now there's a Chapel Bell merch line and a subscribers-only merch line behind a password-protected wall. You got to subscribe. Banner Year, of course, commemorates the back-to-back yeah. national championships by UGA. You've probably seen some very prominent Georgia figures wearing their H&B Banner Year gear in celebration. Shirts, pullovers, outerwear, bottoms, accessories, gifts. <laughs> they have it all. Classic style, tailored fit. Holderness and born, hbgolf.com. Uh, follow Ryan. At the PMGN on Twitter, Poor Man's Game Notes on Instagram. I am at Drew Butler, at Punt and Pass, puntandpass.com. Anything on the way out, brother? No, man. Pleasure as always. I'm excited for our next one. Me too. Stick around. Punt the Poor Man coming at you once again. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. See ya. A simple prop to occupy my time. This one goes out. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com save. That's worthybonds.com save. And save and win. At Jim Ellis Automotive, we take pride in our family-owned and operated business. Hi, I'm Stacy Ellis, Vice President of the Jim Ellis Automotive Group. When my granddad, Jim Ellis, founded our company in 1971, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, my dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. Today, third-generation family members like myself, along with the support of more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values our company was founded on. At Jim Ellis Automotive, we try harder because we sincerely value your satisfaction. That's why we've been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of our 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, still family-owned and operated and where you can always expect the best. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. (sighs) Or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. 
Book your stay today at Camp Margaritaville Lanier Islands.com. 